Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 28th of April. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by CEC Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, Australia is $100 away from economic disaster. Time for the CEC solutions. And Corbyn draws clear battle lines in the UK election. So first, Australia is $100 from economic disaster. Time for the CEC's solutions. Now, Craig, this is quite uh, an interesting way of looking at the housing bubble, which, as we know, we've talked about it for years. Um, but lately, it's come up a lot because a lot of experts are finally admitting it's a bubble. And, of course, once you admit it's a bubble, the rest is physics. Yeah, well, Bubbles I burst. I think in the recent period, when you start to see it's still, still 13 14% increase in property values in Melbourne and Sydney, yep. you say, hang on, what's going on here? Yep. But at the same time, Robbie, Perth is crashing because of the fact that the flying flyer... Because it can, because that's what happens. That's what happens, yeah. And you know what happens over there? You've lost an enormous number of jobs because the mining boom is finished, right? And people, that, that affected directly what's taking place in, in Perth. And even the new prime, uh, Premier over there has come out and said, this is a new Great Depression. And the that's, only... That's right. So that's where, but people in Melbourne and Sydney are still being encouraged by the salesmen to think, oh, that'll never happen here. But the only reason Melbourne and Sydney are still growing is because 40% of all mortgages uh, that banks are lending are interest only at the moment. And you have to think, Robbie, we've only just seen the shutdown of the car industry and the flow on the fact that's going to have an enormous number of yep. high paying jobs. So, I mean, the, the reality is that the banks are highly exposed to the property market. The property market has been lending money, or the banks have been lending into the property market via these interest-only loans, and this is what people are... What we're, we're, so here's, we're so here's the scary thing, if people haven't already seen this on the news. Finder.com.au has conducted a survey which reveals that 57% of all Australian mortgage holders would not handle a $100 per month increase in their mortgage payments. $100 extra would push them over the edge. Now, Craig, the signs are globally that interest rates are going up, right? The US Federal Reserve has just raised them. They're anticipating three or four more rate rises this year. And what happens is that starts, effect, there's a sort of a domino effect around the world. So not, the signs are not that they're going down, that they're going up. And of course, we've already had a few rate rises here in Australia from the banks themselves. So what we're talking about, $100 is only a rate rise equivalent of 0.45%, less than half a percent on the average mortgage, Craig, which is just a bit less than $400,000. That's the average mortgage. A lot of the new buyers that have been driving up the prices in Melbourne and Sydney, they're not on, their mortgages are not $300,000 to $400,000. Their mortgages are $800,000 to $1 million, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a a real concern, $100 is the, is the difference between this bubble continuing and it bursting. Um, and of course, once it bursts, as we've said here, the issue ain't gonna be the homeowners per se, we can do things about that. The real issue is the banks, mm -hmm. right? Now we've got the solutions to this. There's two things that we, can, that we know we can do. Just briefly for the listeners, let's go through them. Glass-Steagall, what yeah. would that do? Well, Robert Glass-Steagall is, is the laws that were based upon the laws that were brought in by Roosevelt in 1933. They separate out the legitimate necessary commercial banking, the boring banking, 
from the highly speculative investment in merchant banking. You see, what's happened since basically the, uh, the, the late 80s is that you've had a joining together of those two activities whereby yep. the merchant and the investment bankers can get their access, their, their hands on the de people's deposits and use it for speculative purposes. And we've seen a massive increase in these instruments called derivatives, which are nothing more than gambling debts, particularly here in Australia, where it's pure speculation. So the idea is to go back to boring banking, saying, okay, the government would step in and say, no, we're going to have boring banks. And, you know, the National Australia Bank can be the National Australia Bank trading bank. It's got a separate board. It has uh, protections under the government and it basically is a boring bank. And then you might have the National Australia Bank Investment Bank, which is all the other stuff. And they can do what they like. Different bank again. A diff different bank, different board. Different bank. And they'd probably want to change their name to, to avoid confusion. But what this does, what Glass-Steagall does, therefore, is when the bubble bursts in property and the banks, which, which would, or, uh, the way the banks are structured now, that would crash them, Glass-Steagall would make sure the part of the banking that we use will not be crashed. It's a very simple idea, Robbie. Uh, the banks are going to scream blue murder over this because of the fact that they want to have access to people's deposits to gamble yep. with, right? And this is the whole issue. Is it... And it's a political issue. It's not a question of uh, banking per se. It's a political issue whereby the question has to be asked of government. Is it the role of government to control the nation's credit and the way the banks function? Now, John, uh, uh, Ben Chifley in the 30s and again as Treasurer said, absolutely, it's, unless you determine, and John Curtin, by the way, as well, as Australia's greatest Prime Minister, said that if you don't control the private banking system, you don't control the credit of the nation, well, basically, you've got no control over the nation. And see, that's the principle we're talking about. And unless governments are prepared to step in and say, OK, now, this is how the government is going to control the banking system. And we propose a reconstruction of the Commonwealth Bank. We've written the legislation, the Commonwealth National Credit Bank, which would control the private bankers. Yeah, that's unheard of. I mean, Joe Hockey stood up in Parliament and he screamed, you know, the role of government should never be in banking have no role in within banking. In other words, you abrogate the responsibility for the credit of the nation to the private banking system. Mm. And we produced, back in 2009, Robbie, we produced a DVD, the homeowners... homeowners uh, well, that's the second part of the solution that we would apply to the uh, bursting of the bubble. The homeowners and bank protection bill, we called it. People can watch a video on it, but just briefly, how, what would that do? Well, the idea is to protect homeowners. I mean, you can't keep, have, them, in, keep them in their homes. Keep them in happens. their homes because the point is. But Craig, not keep their 19 and 20 investment properties. No, that's different. I mean, people have a. It's not up to the government to protect that. <laughs> I mean, the point is, you've got to keep people in their home. I mean, people, you know, ironically, Robbie, people do come with families. Yes. They do come with kids. They do come with local communities. And you can't have mass evictions of people based upon the fact of the property bubble bursting. Yeah. So like they did in America. Forget about the investment properties. That's just, you know, they, they, they'll have to get written off. But people have to stay in their homes. That might mean, well, that will mean a moratorium. It'll be re-examining interest rates, reconstructing yep. home loans, all sorts of things. Right, yeah, basically writing down home loans according to the new values of the properties. That's the whole point. And Which the, by the end of this process, Australia is going to look a lot different and a lot of it would be positive because young people will be able to afford homes again. And this was done, this, this precedence for this was done during the Roosevelt period where they literally made the political decision and the necessary social decision to keep people in their homes. Yep. So, I mean, there's not, this is not but, so inventing you know, new, new capabilities in rocket science. But as you, Craig, as you alluded to um, earlier, there's an overarching philosophy here. The government has to do this. This is yeah. not something you cannot say... Here's a crisis of monumental proportions 
um, but we're the going to let the free market fix it. Mm. No, what, that's what kills. That's what will kill people. The government has to do it. The era of neoliberalism was the, what we call neoliberalism or economic rationalism or whatever is this idea that, oh no, the free market has to reign. In, interestingly, Craig, there are signs, which we're going to go through, that governments, including in Australia, are starting to say, well, okay, we are going to have to take certain measures here and be prepared to intervene in the economy. And I'm talking about liberal governments. Yeah. So let's take a quick break and talk about that after the break. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing Australia is $100 from economic disaster. Time for the CEC solutions. And the $100 refers to the fact that, as we said before the break, Craig, um, more than half of mortgage holders in Australia would not handle a $100 increase in their monthly mortgage payments from interest rate rises. And that means this bubble is heading for a burst. And when it does, it could wipe out the banks. And we know what to do. We call it Glass-Steagall. We call it the Homeowners and Bank Protection Bill. People can find that material from us. They can call in and get copies of our literature on it. But the real issue is, is the government going to be prepared to take these steps and take charge? Or will they leave it up to the free market? And for a long time, 30 years or more, four decades, three to four decades, we've had governments that say, no, no, everything's got to be done by the free market. Well, that's failed. And there's some interesting signs, including here in Australia, in the Liberal Party, no less, that governments are being prepared to say, okay, we're going to have to take steps in the economy now. So let me just go through a few of them. <clears throat> um, first of all, it's a bit, bit of a mixed bag, but these are all signs. In Australian politics, except for the coalition as parties, all other parties support an inquiry into the banking system. Now, what that means is significantly is the banks, everyone recognises they're so bad, something's got to be done about them. And that's a big deal in Australia because banks historically have a lot of power and wield a lot of power over politics. So only the coalition's holding out, but inside the coalition there are members of the coalition who everyone knows who they are, like Senator Williams, who are saying, no, no, I, I even, might even cross the floor over this, right? So it's not even a strong position the coalition has. So that's, that's, that's one side. Can I just add, Robbie, the, the key here about an inquiry is it has to be modelled more on what we call the PCORA Commission. We call for, I called for this back in 2009, whereby you have a criminal commission, yep. as, as commission, commission set up to go and prosecute bankers under criminal code. And open-ended and being open prepared to go everywhere. See, look, the point is a, a Royal, Royal Commission is only going to be drag out the process. And everyone knows, and the banks themselves have implicitly admitted that they've been involved in various frauds. Well, also, Craig, a Royal Commission can be manipula manipulated by its terms of reference. That's correct. Right? They can, the, the politicians can say, these are the terms of reference, and you're not allowed to look outside of that. A PCORA Commission is the Unless opposite. you're prepared to jail bankers... Yep. Which wasn't done under global financial crisis number one, in you know, and there's enormous criminality which has caused the collapse of Lehman Brothers and so forth. Unless you're prepared to do that, you're you're playing on the sidelines. You're not you're not no, exactly. serious. Exactly. And that, I think that's, that's a good test. I think that's a very important point to put forward because yes, we can have inquiry after inquiry, but the political guts comes from saying no. And and this was actually done in Japan. I mean, we uh, mm. you know, uh, Daisuke Kotagawa who was uh, part of the Ministry of Finance over there, was responsible for unravelling derivatives bubble in the 90s, right? And he was shocked that the government actually jailed a number of his friends who were part of the, you know, the banking system. But he, at the end of the day, in, just in the last six months, he's come out and said, you know, the government was absolutely correct. It's the right thing to do, yeah. The right thing to do because unless there is a real deterrent, these banksters are continue, going to continue yeah. to do the same thing. Um, so that's one thing ordinary voters can do when they see politicians promising an inquiry into bankers, 
cut them off and say, yeah, but will you jail them? Anyway, <laughs> so that's one, that's one sign, which is good. Another sign is that um, in Australia, the Greens and Labor are two parties that are both talking about a at least a version of Glass-Steagall. We talk about breaking up the big four banks. That is a sign. Um, we also know, Craig, that individual members of parliament in the coalition also support breaking up the banks, which is very important. So this is starting to develop. The Greens have proposed a national investment bank, which is, again, our policy, right? But And I wasn't overly surprised it came from the Greens, even though they're actually quite neoliberal on many things. But more importantly, even the Treasurer at the moment is talking about at least building, a, creating a bank, a public bank, a government bank, to fund affordable housing, which is a real turnaround because he, it was his predecessor, Joe Hockey, said government should not be involved in banking. That's the neoliberal rule. Well, well Scott Morrison is talking ideas that are instantly breaking that. So all these things I've referenced, they, in their own way, they represent a rejection of the free market consensus. So that's breaking down. But let's, for the rest of this segment, let's talk about what happened yesterday. Because this is, this, is, this is very significant and we're, we're best placed to comment on it. So the Treasurer, Scott Morrison, gave a speech. And in his speech, he introduced the concept of good debt versus bad debt. And I'll just read you his quote. He goes, quote, it can be very wise for governments to borrow, especially while rates are low, to lock in longer term financing and invest in major growth producing infrastructure assets such as transport or energy, end quote. And then he went on to argue that it was time to distinguish between that spending and what he called bad debt. Good debt, he said, increased productivity. Bad debt is when you're borrowing to fund current expenditure, right? So here's the thing. The point is, Craig, he's actually right. It, it's, it's, it's amazing it's taken this long to come to, but he's actually right. Um, and it's just a, to me, when you understand how this, the, the, um, the free market consensus has worked for 40 years, this represents as radical a departure from it as anything I've seen, right? Because um, worldwide, the mantra has been for that time, balance the budget. You must balance the budget, right? And of course, our associate in America, Lyndon LaRouche, had the immortal line, well, forget that, boys. Unbalanced minds cannot balance budgets. You realise that Bill Shorten here, Robbie, has an enormous gap now, enormous opening to jump in and call for the original policies of the Labor the Party. Party. That's right. The original idea of a Commonwealth Bank is acting like a national bank and doing exactly everything that Joe Hawk, uh, the Scott Morrison is talking about. Well, I want you to explain that, but let's go through it um, consecutively. First of all, so we want to talk about that, that idea. We'll come back to that in a minute. First of all, though, talk about a proposal that you're on record as the leader of the CEC in Australia, arguing for repeatedly over many years, of a capital budget versus a, an annual budget, which is essentially good debt versus bad debt. So just well, It's the same that. thing. I mean, but, Robbie, you look at the, the, the infrastructure deficit we have in the country today right down to all the destruction done by the recent cyclone, Cyclone Debbie up there in Queensland. Trillion dollars. That's conservative. Yeah. Right? So what you have to have is a government says, okay, we need to build the backbone, the economic infrastructure backbone of the country to put people into jobs, but also to stimulate the economy because that's how you do it, through infrastructure. So you have a government that says, okay, well, we're going to take this side of the economic development of our nation, which is long-term, you know, 25, 50, even 100 years for some of the rail projects and dams and so forth. Okay, we need to fund that differently. So that's the capital side of things. Now, we would say you need to have a national bank to fund that, which the government also yeah, because owns. You, so that's where we divert from Morrison, because he says 
go borrow and, that. Go, no, you don't. Well, become, it's a relative thing. We, we would say borrow it too, but from your own institution. Yeah, but don't don't become captive to private That's finance right. again. You don't have to go cap in hand to them. Create a Commonwealth Bank like we used to have, which did act like a national bank to function as funding these capital type items. That's, that's one aspect of the budget, right? So that's separate to what you call the operating expenses side of the budget, which is things like pensions and uh, you know social security, hospitals, and hospitals, health, and no, well, hospitals, building hospitals is part of the capital, but the actual running of hospitals, paying, paying their paying wages, paying the wages is part yeah. of the expenses. Now, what you've got to do, Robbie, is look at the economy as a whole, expand the capacity, which is what he's saying here again. We've got to expand the infrastructure basis in order to create an increase in the tax base in order to be able to fund the operating expenses side of things. And so, he's, but he's also admitting that the I don't know whether do um, you know, um, he's looking at the CEC report, but this is exactly <laughs> what we've talked about many times on this show over the Well, hang on. Let's, let's, because, there's, because there's strong grounds for suspicion that Scott Morrison may be watching the CEC report, let's make an appeal now, Craig. Mor Mr Treasurer, tell the Prime Minister, do not scrap Channel 31 in June or Channel 44 in June. Keep it going. If you're watching this, you must realise how good this channel is. Keep it going. Exactly. <laughs> but let's not get diverted, Rob. No, OK. So this is a significant development. I think we're not... now. <clears throat> Don't get us wrong. We're not suddenly converts to the coalition. What we're actually trying to say is that you know they're taking our policies, right? That's why that's why the headline was, "It's time for the CEC solutions." But it's baby steps. But when you understand, I mean, we've we've been in the trenches for you know close to three decades, Craig, on this. When you understand that those reforms that Keating and Cork, uh, Keating and Keating and Hawke implemented in the eighties, that introduced this free market decision making for everything. When you see signs we're moving away from that, that is in its own way progress. We just have to make sure the specifics are sound and we're going to keep fighting for that. This free trade ideology, Robbie, comes from the British Empire. It's the, the policy pushed by Adam Smith that created the opium wars, the slave trade and everything. And that's All right, but listen, I have to cut you off because you don't have time to explain that. If you want to know what Craig's talking about, call in and ask for literature on it. You can call in and get it on a free copy and you can get literature on that and we'll cover that in future weeks. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the UK election. Welcome back to the CEC report. We're finally, Corbyn draws clear battle lines in the UK election. So Craig, the election has been called, um, as a, and it's a snap election. Uh, we're going to have a segment on this because hardly anyone in Australia really knows about Jeremy Corbyn. He, get, he does get referenced, but as a laughing stock. I, pick, yeah. I sort of pick that up all the time. And the real Jeremy Corbyn couldn't be any further from the truth, right? So the interesting thing, though, is May called this election, and people are interpreting it because it's a snap election. It's three years ahead of when it's due. And people are interpreting this as an act of strength by her. She's going to kill off this really weak opponent, Corbyn. Um, it's actually the opposite because... Unlike most elections, when the, when the establishment doesn't really care which side wins because they know that both sides are going to pursue their policies, Corbyn is, represents the opposite to that. Corbyn is a threat to the establishment. They're terrified of him. They're, they're worried that if, they, if he survives another three years with everything they've thrown at him so far and they have thrown everything at him and he still survived, if he survives that, um, then any, all bets are off in 2020. So they want to do this now, hopefully, so he doesn't get a chance to become Prime Minister. Um, He's more than just an outsider, right, like Donald Trump or Le Pen. He, he is deeply committed to his policies. That will destroy the establishment. And by the establishment, let me, just, let me just name them. 
It's the aristocracy around the crown. It's the City of London banks around the crown. It's the media in the UK owned by six billionaires. It's the intelligence agencies which own the answer to the crown. It's the arms manufacturers and the private security firms that profit from the UK's wars that they're always whipping up. That's who is threatened by Corbyn. So for them, the issue isn't just Corbyn, it's that the fact that he's got he's recruited so much support, right, in the in the population. That's their worst nightmare to an oligarchical system, which is ruled by a few. Their worst nightmare is when the peasants are revolting. Right? That's how they think about them. Because as Percy Shelley said, ye are many, they are few. The power lies with the people if the people ever use it. So listen to Corbyn's opening speech in which he draws the battle lines for this election. Much of the media and the establishment are saying this election is a foregone conclusion. They think there are rules in politics which if you don't follow by doffing your cap to the powerful people, accepting that things can't really change, then you can't win. But of course, they do not want us to win, because when we win, it is the people, not the powerful, who win. <laughs> the nurse, the teacher, the small trader, the carer, the builder, the office worker, the student, the carer win. We all win. It's the establishment that complains, I don't play by the rules, by which they mean their rules. We can't win, they say, when we don't play their game. We don't fit in their cosy club. We're not obsessed with the tittle-tattle of Westminster or Brussels. We don't accept that it, has, that it is natural for Britain to be governed by a ruling elite, the city and the tax dodgers. We don't accept that the British people... We don't accept that the British people just have to take what they're given. At that, they don't deserve better. And in a sense, the establishment and their camp followers in the media are quite right. I don't play by their rules. And if a Labour government is elected on the 8th of June, we won't play by their rules either. They are yesterday's rules set by failed political and corporate elites. We should be consigning to the past. It is these rules that have allowed a cosy cartel to rig the system in favour of a few powerful and wealthy individuals and corporations. It's a rigged system set up by the wealth extractors for the wealth extractors. But things can and they will change. Well, that's great, Robbie. But what uh, Jeremy Corbyn has to do is make Glass-Steagall the centrepiece of his campaign. Glass-Steagall goes to the root of the City of London banks and it deals with this massive austerity. Yeah. Corbyn supports Glass-Steagall, but if he campaigns on it and recruits people to that idea, he can bring this system down. Yeah, and that's really the key here. It's a real flank on the oligarchy and the City of London, and he absolutely needs to move in that direction. All right, so we'll, this, this campaign has just started. We'll report it going forward. But... Again, for regular viewers and those who are starting watching this for the first time, anything we cover here is in our 
weekly Australian Alert Service publication. You can call in for a free copy on our toll-free number. Call in and read more and keep watching the CEC report.